Thank you for joining us on today's episode in Saints in Society. I am Rick Reeves, your host, and I have, as always, Brad Leibolt with me here today. Today, we're going to be looking at why should I leave my church and how should I go about doing that? So this is a follow-up to our previous podcast on why I should be a part of the local church. And so today is a recognizing, hey, I might be a part of an unhealthy church or a church that isn't biblically sound. How do I determine those things? And then how do I go about leaving? We hope this is beneficial and helpful for you. Thanks for joining us today. This is Saints in Society, a podcast with the aim and focus on equipping saints to live in and engage with their society. Through discussion and diving into the word, we seek to learn how to engage culture in its terms, but not of it. We believe the gospel speaks to all areas of life and provides all the answers we are looking for. So we aim to equip saints with applying the gospel to our lives, living as saints in society. All right, Brad, what are three animals that you would never own that would never be found in your house? Any kind of rodent, ferret, gerbil, guinea pig, hamster, rat, mouse, none of those. <laughs> okay. uh, probably no reptile. Snakes, lizards. I did have a pet leopard gecko hmm. back in the day. Did you touch it? I did, yeah. Honestly, a super boring pet. They also require a lot of humidity, and Christmas Valley is dry as a bone. And oh, so yeah. It had a hard life. Um, and then my third one, and I think I'm going to steal one of what yours is going to be, small dog. Small dogs, the little yippy, chihuahua, Pomeranian, poodle. I mean, basically any dog that's under 50 pounds. <laughs> why is that funny i don't know i feel like 50 pounds is pretty large really i'm trying yeah. to think like like how much would a lab like a lab weigh did you almost say doodle but you don't want to offend people with no lab? no <laughs> okay. uh labrador labradoodle I, I think labs are anywhere from like 50 to 90 pounds yeah, yeah yeah like that's i think that's the limit you know okay maybe something smaller maybe like eh, 25 pounds okay okay 25 pounds or less. What about you? Yeah. Because I think of like Australian shepherds or like, yeah, that's true. Good yeah, point. Yeah. yeah. Small dogs, like, you know, you know, like the little yippy ones, like cattle dogs too, are probably like under 50 yeah, that's pounds. True. Or close, yeah. so. Okay. 50 pounds was not okay. good. You really, you really dropped the ball on that one. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I also wouldn't be mad if I only ever had dogs over 50 pounds. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Uh, so three for me. Mm-hmm. Number one, any animal that doesn't have hair, like a hairless Ooh, cat or yeah. a hairless dog. Oh, we, we have friends that are members of our church that had one at one point and they were, they were telling us about it. I just would never want to touch it. Did they explain why? Like no. why hairless? No, I don't know. I, I mean, I would assume that if you have allergies or anything like that, but you can also buy. If you what? have allergies, just don't get one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because at that point you've just bought like a reptile with four yeah. legs, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other one would be a snake. Mm-hmm. So. Anything like that, because I, I don't think I would ever touch it. No. So I don't want to have an animal that I would, wouldn't touch. I think I've told you this before, but have you heard? <laughs> There's a lady who owned a pet python. Yes. And she woke up. And it was like sizing got, her up. It got out of her cage and was like in her bed. And she woke up the next morning and it had like started to like expand, which is a thing that snakes do. And it was like preparing to eat her. That's yeah. not a pet. It's a wild animal. Yeah. But there are some wild animals that I would love to have as a pet. Someone <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't eat you. Yeah. So no snakes yet. Uh, there was another one where a snake did that with a, with a boy and, and they were like, Oh, look at this. It's really cute. How the boy's like laying on it or something. They're like, I think it's like sizing it up to, yeah, for yeah. its next meal. No, thank you. Uh, and number three, uh, honestly, just in general, a cat. Oh yeah. You would never, if your kids are like, dad, can we please get a cat? You would say no way. They they've tried that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and they say you're never supposed to say never. And I was like, I just want to let you guys know this is a never this, this is this is a hard no hard pass yeah. for me so okay. yeah yeah they're just there's nothing about a cat <laughs> yeah that i like or long for and people are like oh they're independent i'm like sure if you by independent you mean that it never comes when you call it or anything like that then great <laughs> you they, have they're, no control they over are very independent <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah. Oh, okay no cats no lizards or snakes and yeah yeah essentially i like my kids having animals that take very little care mm. So they want to get a fish or a hermit crab, something like that. I mean, I wouldn't never get like a, a leopard gecko <laughs> unless I lived in a, you know, a humid environment. Yeah, because it, yeah it's yeah. like getting 
a Siberian Husky dog and then living in Hawaii. I just think it's cruelty yeah. to animals. So, but yeah, to each his own. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about animal cruelty. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, cool. Enough animal talk. Today we're going to dive in on what are grounds for leaving a local church? So at what point should I say that I can no longer worship here? So we're going to look at that today and, and talk about why we should leave the church, but not only why, but how we should go about doing that in a gracious, tactful way. And so let's dive in. Yeah. Part of this is a follow-up to, we did a a couple episodes back on, can you be a Christian and not be a part of a church? And that might beg the question then of, okay, I need to get involved in a church. What kind of church or am I in the right church and that kind of thing? Did I ever tell you my mom's response to that podcast? Uh, I think so, but you should tell everyone. (laughs) So, so I send it to her and then she goes, I, I listen to the podcast. I was like, what did you think? She's like, I think I'm going to hell. <laughs> that was her response. I said, well, let's, let's talk through this. So, yeah. So that was my um, mom's response. How, how's she doing now? Is she? I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like for context. I should probably check in with her. Yeah. For, <laughs> for context, your mom is very funny. She, and, she, she has a great sense of humor. Yeah, yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. The reason I'm so hilarious and have such a great sense of humor is because I get it from my mom. Yeah. 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 Anyway, back to it. So we did do a podcast previously on, can you be a Christian and not be a part of a church? So today is now I am a Christian and I'm a part of a church, but I'm struggling with certain things at my church. I'm struggling with theology. I'm I'm struggling with the uh, philosophy of ministry, whatever those things are. What are grounds, biblical grounds for leaving a church and how do you do that well? So where, where do you think as our guest today, yeah. Where do you think we should start with this? Thanks for having me. Um, okay, I'm going to try to split this into kind of two categories. Uh, one should go quickly, and then one we'll spend a little more time on. Uh, one is kind of a, the black and white reasons that, like, no questions asked, leave a church tomorrow, today kind of thing. And then we'll talk about some more gray area uh, issues that are cause for a little more discussion, a little more debate, and not as easy as just saying, yeah, if this is happening, go now kind of thing. So so first, the black and white, it's as simple as this. If you are a part of a church that is not a true church, a false church, leave that church. How do we distinguish or determine what is a true or false church? It's their doctrine. Uh, what do they believe? What does a church believe? A true church is going to hold to orthodox doctrine, right doctrine, uh, the true gospel, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, or in a scripture alone. So uh, any church that does not believe or preach the, the true gospel, does not believe or teach true, right, healthy, sound doctrine, is a false church. Um, and so let, let's give some examples here. Right. The Roman Catholic Church we would say is a false church. They teach a salvation by grace plus works, by faith plus works doctrine. So they, because of the wrong doctrine of the Catholic church, we've done a podcast on this uh, back in the day. You can go listen to that. We would say that that is a false church. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that's reason enough to leave the Catholic church. Maybe less obvious, prosperity gospel churches. Good. So churches that teach kind of a, a name it and claim it, word of faith, uh, Jesus will make you happy, healthy, and wealthy gospel that is not the true gospel. Uh, and so we would say that if you're part of a church like that, you should leave. So how would you go about discovering if, you're, if a church is a true or false church? The first place you would go is their statement of faith. And oftentimes churches will have this on their website, a list of doctrines that they believe. Um, and you can learn a lot about what a church believes based on that, but you can't learn everything. Uh, and so the second best way to learn about what a church actually believes and if they believe right doctrine or not is to listen to their teachings. So for example, Lakeside Church in Texas is Joel Osteen's church. Mm -hmm. And if you looked up Lakeside's statement of faith on their website, it would read almost identical to our church's statement of faith. Wow. They're going to, in writing, have the same doctrine, uh, the same beliefs that uh, we would have. But if you listen to the preaching, the teaching, what is actually being communicated and taught at that church. I think that's charitable to call it preaching. Okay. (laughs) If you listen to the nonsense yeah. uh, that comes out of that pastor's mouth. I have no qualms about saying that uh, it is not the true gospel. It's a prosperity gospel that I think has led people to hell and has 
damned people because of how misleading, wrong, false, unbiblical yep. it is. So read the statement of faith. They should ha- you should have access to that somewhere. Does that statement of faith represent the core doctrines that the that evangelical Protestant churches have agreed upon for centuries? Then as a double check, listen to the preaching, listen to the teaching, is the overarching main primary message that salvation is available by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And if there is an inkling of man's effort or works or praying hard enough or having enough faith and, and anything like that, then we would say that's not a true church and it is in your best interest uh, to leave that church. So. Those are kind of the the black and white cases are true church versus false church. If you're a part of a false church or going to a false church, we would say that is a reason to leave. You have biblical warrant. You don't need to. uh, And in fact, I think we would both recommend against viewing yourself as some kind of missionary in a false church unwise, unhealthy for your own spiritual growth and sanctification, and probably going to be ineffective to kind of be a Lone Ranger missionary in a false church thinking that you're going to change that church or have an effect on people's lives. Um, That could be true. You could have an effect on people's lives and relationship, but at the end of the day, you need to be connected to a true church. Mm -hmm. I actually firsthand have watched someone try to do that. Mm. So I would tell people to run hard and fast from the International Church of Christ or the Boston Church of Christ. And I watched a young man say that he was going to essentially go in there as like a missionary and whatnot. And yeah. I don't even know where his faith is today. So, so uh, as a result of it, you name dropped it there. They would believe in baptismal regeneration. Is that correct? Yeah. Not even baptismal regeneration, but specifically you have to be baptized in order to be saved, but not just by anyone or anywhere or elders at a local church. Specifically, you have to be baptized by their elders in the Boston church of Christ or the international church of Christ to okay. actually be truly saved. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that is a, an added stipulation in addition to faith that is required for salvation. That is unbiblical not true, false church, run and run very far away. Do you have any summary statements? Because I know we talked about in the past of like what the church is, uh, because I was trying to look mm. up the 1644, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, and I know they've summarized and, and kind of packaged it really well, but I know when we've talked about this before, you had some examples of that. Do you have uh, any of the, those? the examples that I used uh, in the past are actually quotes from Luther and Calvin. So okay. um, uh, let me pull them up here. Both Luther and Calvin had to make a state had to make statements about true and false churches because they were attempting to reform the Roman Catholic Church right so so you have all of a sudden this Protestant Reformation going on and all these Christians saying well wait a minute should I go to a, a Lutheran church a Catholic church like so they had to make statements that distinguish between true churches and false churches and both of them said something really similar and so here I'll read um, this is the Lutheran statement of faith which is the Augsburg Confession, define the church in this way. The congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. And then John Calvin said, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. That's good. So they identify two specific areas. That's the the gospel, the word of God being rightly purely, uh, uh, accurately taught. So that's the sound doctrine we've been talking about. And then they also bring up the sacraments. So baptism and the Lord's Supper. And this is a direct response to Roman Catholic Church, which would include the sacraments performed in a certain way as part of your salvation. Again, we talked about this in a last podcast that you can go that you can go listen to. Um, but in, in Catholicism, it's faith plus these other works of mm-hmm. penance, which the sacraments were a part of. And so Luther and Calvin were working hard to counter those beliefs by saying that, and we don't need to get into this too much, but the way you perform and administer the Lord's Supper and baptism are going to say a lot about your doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if uh, you're doing baptism in a way that communicates that that water has power in it to save, that's going to communicate a lot about what you believe about the gospel and salvation. If you are 
having people take communion in such a way that somehow there is power in the elements, the bread and the cup to impart to you some type of additional grace or uh, salvation or sanctification or something like that, then again, you're adding something to justification that is meant to be by faith alone. So so I think that the reformers had had, had good warrant for including the administration yep. of the sacraments in, in their definition of what the church is. So word of God, the gospel is rightly taught, preached, uh, heard and understood, and then the sacraments are administered rightly. Sure. So, so we gave a, a couple examples of these are churches that you should run from. Mm-hmm. So I said, and to be specific, I said the International Church of Christ and the Boston Church of Christ. You said, what is the name of Joel Osteen's church? Lakeside. Lakeside. I so, think, or, yeah. so that would be another one that you would say run from. Mm-hmm. Can you give some other examples of denominations or certain churches that you would add to the list of run? gospel community i'm just kidding um, <laughs> uh oh, maybe it's not lakeside anyway it's a lake something but okay joel osteen large giant church there Texas. Okay. uh i would say bethel um because of the prosperity gospel because of their uh odd well some prosperity um but also their view on the spirit uh you might need to help me out because i don't have off the top of my head yeah essentially elevating the gifts yeah to such a way to where the gifts are worshipped instead of God, I would say, is alarming. They represent the new apostolic reformation. And so Mm. run from any church. And if if you don't know what I mean, start off watching the American gospel, the first one, the second one, and then watch the third one, because I believe a lot of it's going to be about the new apostolic reformation. If anyone claims to be a prophet or an apostle, run. There's another run. And what they are claiming is apostolic authority. So essentially they are the new authority. So they can say and and essentially speak on behalf of God, like the Pope. So yeah, there you go. Bad voodoo mama juju. <laughs> the other ones that come to mind. So I, I was going to throw Bethel in there too, okay, yeah. but essentially for the prosperity gospel, but uh, I was also going to throw Jehovah's witness in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Mormonism, Mormonism in there. And, yeah. Uh, Seventh-day Adventist. I would tell people to yeah. run from Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. yeah. There's not any others that jump out at me right now, mm-hmm. but maybe we can circle back to it. So, yeah. 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 That's so, good. Good. Yeah. So you said you're going to cover black and white. So the black and white was Orthodox churches and essentially sticking to Orthodoxy as it's revealed in the gospel and in God's word. Yes. So not a gospel plus. Right. But you also said you're going to cover the gray areas. What is, what are the gray areas? Yeah. So uh, also I feel like maybe helpful to define the word Orthodox or Orthodoxy. Ortho means right. Dox is doctrine. So right doctrine. So that's what we mean when we say that. You actually said it earlier. Oh, did I? Uh-huh. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, someone's listening. Uh, okay, so the black and white, true or false, orthodox and orthodox run if you're not a part of, a, or if you're part of a false church. Then the gray area is, I'm going to use a spectrum or a scale of healthy and unhealthy churches. So in this in this gray area, we're only talking about true churches, okay? We're, we've dealt with the false churches, not talking about that anymore. Within the category of true churches that have a right doctrine, are preaching the gospel, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that, what that means. But that 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 believe, truly believe in the, the true gospel. There are degrees of churches that are healthy and unhealthy in a variety of areas. And there's a no true church that is completely, totally, perfectly healthy. Every church is going to have an area or multiple of unhealth throughout their life. Wayne Grudem uh, defi- or has this helpful, I think, definition. He uses the, the words, the word purity instead of healthy. I think I'm, we're going to go with healthy or the health of the church rather than its purity. But he says this, the purity or the health of the church is its degree of freedom from wrong doctrine and conduct Mm -hmm. and its degree of conformity to God's revealed will for the church. So doctrinal and moral issues. Okay, again, we're not talking about primary doctrine, Mm -hmm. uh, but doctrinal issues and moral issues. We have examples of these in scripture. So the churches that Paul is writing to in the New Testament are true churches. He starts almost every letter off with to the saints in Christ Jesus in Ephesus, Mm -hmm. Philippi, Corinth. He's talking to true churches, but there are degrees of health in these churches. So we have some examples of healthy churches, church in Philippi, Philippians, there are no major doctrinal or moral Mm -hmm. issues that Paul addresses in that letter. And then the, the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, 
again, no doctrinal, major doctrinal or moral issues he's addressing there. there are, these are letters of encouragement and thanksgiving about these churches. But then we have the letter to the Galatians, which is addressing a, a doctrinal issue, mm-hmm. right? He, he's calling out uh, the doctrine of the leaders of the church in Galatia. And then in Corinth, the church, uh, or to the letter, to the letter to the Corinthians, he is calling out some major moral <laughs> issues mm-hmm. as well. Again, true churches, but churches that are wavering in their doctrine and conduct, which need to be brought back to health. There's a lot of different ways we could categorize or define or describe the health of a church. And we have, there's, there's different people have presented different ideas uh, for what a healthy church looks like. So here's just some examples. Nine Marks is an organization that I've listened to enough of their stuff. I, if I see if I can recite their mission statement. It exists to <laughs> help churches get more healthy or something like that. Um, and they have nine marks, obviously, of the uh, what a healthy church what is. they would say a healthy church is. Mm-hmm. They, they are this. Preaching, specifically expositional preaching. Biblical theology, the gospel, a clear and right understanding of the gospel. Conversion, a clear and right understanding of conversion. Evangelism, church membership, uh, church discipline discipleship, and then leadership. So those are the nine marks that they look at to define or discover a healthy church. Uh, Here's John Piper's four marks of a healthy church. The church's leaders, elders, pastors, whatever that church calls them, minister the word of God fully and faithfully. They minister the Lord's supper and baptism. So doctrine and sacraments. They exercise church discipline, excluding from membership those who walk in a way that contradicts the gospel or brings reproach upon the Lord. Seeing some themes here. They love each other and they love the community and they're seeking to win the loss to reach the nations. In other words, so the mission of the church. So those are Piper's four marks of a healthy church. Here's Grudem's, and this is a list that we're going to dive into a little bit more to talk about some specific cases. He's got 12, 12 things that you can uh, gauge health in a church. The right preaching of God's word, proper use of the sacraments, right use of church discipline, genuine worship, effective prayer, effective witness, effective fellowship, biblical church government, spiritual power and ministry, personal holiness of life among members, care for the poor, and love for Christ. Okay, so so there's a lot of ways we could approach the health of a church conversation. I want to talk about four from that list because I think they're the most, probably the most common things that come up in when people are wondering if they should leave their churches for these reasons. Yeah. So preaching, worship, fellowship or community, and then leadership. So let's take each of those one at a time and talk through what a healthy and unhealthy, or what we at least think a healthy and unhealthy churches would do in these areas and how we would go about that. So preaching, Mm -hmm. do you have anything, you probably don't have anything to say about this, the right right and healthy preaching. I'm joking. (laughs) I have a lot to say about this. Yeah, I figured you would. What are some things you have heard about people who are thinking about leaving their church because of the preaching? What I have heard is that the gospel is not faithfully preached week in and week out. Okay. So hermeneutics, mm-hmm. their hermeneutic, their hermeneutic does not lend itself to somehow interpreting the Bible to constantly point to Christ. Okay. So that is one of the things I've heard. I've heard, which it flows from that, that we get a lot of how-to sermons. We get a lot of do better, try harder, try harder, mm-hmm. <laughs> try hotter. Try hotter. <laughs> You don't like the temperature yeah, of your yeah. drink? Try it. Oh, okay. Do more, do better. Uh, yeah. Inspirational mm-hmm. type stuff, but mm-hmm. not sermons that are covered in the bloody sacrificial atonement of Christ that's needed to save and transform a heart and life. All right. Role play here. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rick. Sure. We believe the gospel and we're going to preach it every once in a while, but the church is full of Christians. So why does it need to be preached every single week? Yeah. I certainly informed my seat. I'm like, great, Brad. This is role play. Don't throw hands, okay? <laughs> great question, Brad. My hands are sweating. Well, first, I would say this. So I would address that question in two ways. One, I would say this. If I have been inviting my friend for quite a while to come to church and they finally show up, there is only one message that has the power to save and transform their heart, to give them a new heart, to give them a, a regenerate heart. And that's the message of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Mm -hmm. Anything else you're giving people is damnable if it's not rooted in the gospel. It's do this, try this, try harder. So I've brought my non-Christian friend to church. He's only coming once. You told him about three things that he can do to live a better life. He walks out of those doors on Sunday and he goes, dude, I don't know that I necessarily need Mm -hmm. your church. He's like, I'm I'm kicking butt at those three things. Mm -hmm. I'm doing all those three things. In fact, I think I'm doing a better job than you. The Christian message isn't how good of a job you're doing. 
or that I'm a better person or that I'm not as good as a person to you. It's that we need the moral perfect standard of Christ Mm -hmm. in our place to stand before a holy God. Secondly, what you have just communicated is that the gospel is only for a non-Christian. The gospel is the very thing, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, that saves us, that is continuing to save us, that we stand. And we don't graduate from grace. We don't graduate from the gospel. We don't move on. It's not the ABCs, as Keller says. It's the A to Z. It's the very thing that saves us, that keeps on saving us, but it grows us in our maturity as a Christian. There is no holiness apart from the gospel. There is pious works and efforts and self-righteousness, but if what is driving your holiness and obedience is not the gospel, then you're a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just for the Christian, it's for the non-Christian. My brothers and sisters in Christ need that message just as much as those are there that are not in Christ. Yeah. Do you agree? I would, yeah, 100% agree. Um, The assumption that there's only believers at your church says a lot about how you your confidence in your church's evangelism and, and living on mission. Uh, and you cannot guarantee that everyone there on a Sunday morning is saved. And so why would you not give them what they need mm-hmm. to experience salvation or to have salvation? Yeah. The sanctification of the believer is dependent upon their understanding and returning to their justification. Mm-hmm. And so if we are not putting their justification before them week in and week out, then we are we cannot expect true sanctification to happen. Explain justification for sure. our listeners. Justification is the it's the your legal right, righteous standing before God the moment you put your faith in Christ. Your sin has been transferred to Jesus. You are not guilty and his righteousness has been transferred to you. You are righteous. And so it's as if you were standing in a courtroom before God, the judge and your crimes were placed on Jesus and his innocence is placed on you. Yeah. And so that's a, a moment in time you have been saved, you've been justified. Sanctification is you growing in holiness over the course of your life. Never perfectly, not all at once, but over the course of your life, as the gospel transforms your your heart, it transforms your desires, it transforms your actions. You live differently. You want things that are different. You, your life looks different because of what God is doing in you. And the, the way that that happens is by returning to your justification. Mm -hmm. That's why I've appreciated really honest pastors later in life. Tim Keller, Mm. Brian Chappell, Francis Schaeffer, all these men said for so long, and honestly, and and I bet, I I would assume that they feel the weight of the messages that they preached for years without the gospel in it, Mm -hmm. that they gave people messages that could literally damn them, that that would either lead to pride and self-righteousness or utter despair. Yep. And then they realized that it's not the gospel that, that is just our ticket into heaven or that saves us. It is the very gospel. And, and it is constantly thinking about the justification, mm-hmm. the righteousness, the union that we have with Christ that actually is the very thing that is driving and compelling and motivating our sanctification. Yeah. And so I forget who said it, but the heart that feeds on justification is the life that produces sanctification. Yeah. The more that you focus on your sanctification, likely the more insecure you'll be. Or if, or if you think your right standing before God is your growth in holiness, you're going to be insecure. If you understand your right standing before God is solely based upon your justification, Christ's righteousness is given to you. Yeah. Man, that's a lot of freedom. Totally. You know? I, would add, I would add a third reason too why the gospel needs to be in every sermon is because the Bible is all about Jesus. Yeah. And, and since it, Jesus said that. Yeah. At the, uh, after his resurrection in the end of Luke, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, he's talking with disciples that don't recognize him yet. And it says that he explained to them from the whole Old Testament, how all of it was pointing to the fact that the Messiah would come, die, rise again. And he calls them fools for not seeing it. So I believe that as if Jesus were sitting here with us, reading the Old Testament on every single page, he would show us how it points to him. And so I think our job as preachers then is to do the same to the best of our ability and and read the Bible rightly, read the Bible as Jesus read it. And every sermon we preach that is from the text should lead us to the cross. It should lead us to Jesus Mm -hmm. because that's what the whole Bible is about. There's a great Spurgeon quote. You might be trying to look it up right now um, where he talks about, he uses the the, the line that all roads lead to London Mm -hmm. in the same way all texts in the Bible lead to Christ. And then a student's like, well, 
what if what if I can't find it? He's like, then start hopping ditches and crossing yeah. hedges and and pave away because it it all points yeah. to Christ. Yeah. And I think there's ways that preachers can err in this and uh, maybe do a little bit too much allegory, maybe not have a totally clean like. Uh, I'm okay with that though because mm-hmm. I would rather I would rather fall right. into that ditch of like too much <laughs> Jesus and gospel than fall in the other ditch, which is not enough because we're scared of doing something with the Bible that we, we haven't done. So I, we could, you and I could talk about this for a yeah. long time. Yeah, I was just going to say, because you said that's on the road to Emmaus, but even in John, Jesus talks to the Pharisees. I mean, these are the, these are the ones that are biblically literate mm-hmm. of the day. And he's like, the reason that you don't understand those very scriptures right there, the ones you're reading, the ones you've given your life to is because they're all about me. Like while he's living, he's telling mm-hmm. him that. And he's like, you're just missing it. Yeah. They're all about me. And he's pointing to the Old Testament saying, that's all about me. You yeah. know? So. One last text. So 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture, this is Paul talking to Timothy, all scripture, and he's referring to the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures, that's what they had at the time, is breathed out by God. And it's useful, uh, and, and it's uh, useful for making one wise Unto for salvation, salvation yeah. in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that the Old Testament is sufficient because it's breathed out by God to make someone, anyone mm-hmm. wise, be able to understand, comprehend, grasp that salvation is available through the Christ Messiah, yeah. the title who is Jesus of Nazareth. So you should be able to read your old Testament and, and, and come to the conclusion that, ah, salvation is available through the Messiah, the Christ who is Jesus of yeah. Nazareth. Yeah. Let's throw out a few quick resources because okay. we hardly ever do that. And it might be mm-hmm. helpful yeah. for people to kind of grasp this justification, sanctification, but always looking to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll let you throw out one of your wife's favorite books that oh, my wife yeah. loved too. But I'll start with Deeper by mm-hmm. Dane Ortland, oh, who yeah. also wrote Gentle and Lowly. Um, so that is a great book yep. on explaining how our sanctification is a result of our justification. Yeah. Yeah. The the book you're talking about is Look and Live by Matt Papa, which yeah. is all about this concept of looking at Christ, looking at the glory of God, looking at the gospel is actually what what helps and guides us in our yeah. life and helps us. And then, and then three books on preaching would be Tony Morita's book, mm-hmm. which is, I think it's called, uh, Christ-centered expo- exposition or Christ-centered, Christ-centered exposition. Yeah. yeah. Brian Chapel's Christ-centered preaching, yep. but also Johnny can't preach, mm, that's which, a good one. yeah, this guy got diagnosed with cancer and he thought he had a little bit of time to live. <clears throat> so he wrote a snarky book mm-hmm. because he was frustrated with so many preachers. And quickly, he just unpacks that Johnny can't preach because Johnny can't read, Johnny can't write, and Johnny can't preach Christ from all the mm-hmm. Bible. And mm-hmm. so it's a really short but really yeah. impactful read. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about health of the church. We think that a healthy church is going to preach the gospel, Christ crucified every single Sunday because the non-believer needs it, the believer needs it, and it's what the Bible is all about. Let me ask this question as a follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. So what if you're at a church plant yep. and you got a preacher that's only been preaching for six months or a year, mm-hmm. and I mean you're hanging in there with him. He's mm-hmm. preaching Christ. He's yeah. doing his best. He's he's trying to grow in his uh, preaching and teaching, but it's pretty clunky. Yeah. Is that a reason to leave? <laughs> no. Uh I don't I I don't think so. It, especially if you and there's a key point in there that you said that he's trying to learn and grow in his mm-hmm. preaching, right? Uh I think that we as Christians and members of churches need to be very patient with our leaders who are attempting to get better at their craft, whatever that might be, preaching, teaching, leading, um, administrating, those kinds of things. Um, I th- we think that, or I think that it would be a greater degree of unhealth in a church if they weren't preaching the gospel every week than if the preaching was maybe clunky, uh, the mechanics weren't great, it was a little boring, he only ever told sports stories, you know, those kinds <laughs> of things. Like those are areas to grow, but I don't think those are going to have as big of an effect on the overall health of a church as the content of the message being the gospel every single week. So yeah, as we talk about, should you leave your church because of the preaching? I think we would say if the gospel is not present every single Sunday, we would potentially encourage you to start thinking about leaving that church. We'll get to how we would go about that later. But if you're like, I want to leave my church because of the preaching. Well, what about the preaching? Boring, uh, clunky. He's not that good of a preacher. Is Christ preached every week? Well, yeah, but it's like, ah, I don't think that would be a reason to leave a church at least on the same level as the gospel not being present. Does that make sense? Yep. That's okay. super helpful. Okay. Uh, let's, let's move on to another, another, uh, these should go a little bit faster here, okay. but worship. Worship. Worship is another one. I think, I think at least we hear, uh, maybe. And when you say worship, you're talking about the music. singing. Yeah. Okay. 
we'll say the the singing, the musical worship aspect of of Sunday. I want to leave my church because of the worship. What about the worship, right? And again, we're getting oh, into this. this. Is good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we would say that that worship should uh, be theologically accurate. Mm-hmm. So the lyrics that we're singing should be theologically theologically accurate, right, true, biblically based, uh, and about God. Uh, songs that are about me and I and what I'm going to do and what I'm going to, you know, those are not necessarily bad or sinful. Mm-hmm. But by and large, churches should be singing about God. We're also going to say that while music certainly does elicit emotion in us, and it is okay to feel things while you sing, an emotional response is not the primary goal or result or outcome of worship. And so if you want to leave your church because the worship doesn't make you feel good, mm, we'd maybe hesitate there. Mm -hmm. If you want to leave your church because the songs are not theologically accurate, biblically based, or about God— Okay, there's something there that we think would maybe warrant further discussion or exploration. So I think there's a distinction there. And this is one that I think people leave churches over preferences far more than actual like biblical convictions. And so we would caution leaving because you don't like the style of worship, but we can maybe talk through if the content of that worship or the intention of that worship is unbiblical. Um, In the same way you you challenged our listeners to be gracious and patient as someone learns the craft of preaching. Mm-hmm. Same thing applies to a worship leader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. We'll move on. So we don't make this podcast eight hours long, uh, community fellowship. I think this is another one we hear mm-hmm. often. Uh, well, I, I've never really got connected or I'm not really plugged into the community or I doesn't really feel like home. I think these are v- like valid and, and legitimate uh, maybe critiques or or experiences that people might have in a church. And so should you leave a church if you don't like the community? What would you say? Or do you want me to? <laughs> I did the last one, so I was going to yeah. throw it back at you. So I want to leave the church because I don't like the community. Yeah, or I, or I don't feel connected to the community. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to answer that right now. So if you have an answer, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you would need to do some uh, some serious reflection and ask yourself, have I done everything that I need to do to make the connections that I want to have with people? Uh, I think a lot of times people expect friendship and community to just happen and fall in their lap and are unwilling to extend the effort. Like, I mean, let's just be honest. Community is difficult. It's hard. It requires sacrifice. It requires selflessness. It requires humility. Our love for one another in a body of Christ is not going to be easy. Like, hopefully it becomes easier over time, but what we're called to do is love and serve and be united with people that the only thing we know for sure we have in common with them is Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I think we expect church community to feel like CrossFit community or a country club community or our art, you know, like all these other communities that we're a part of where we have all these shared interests, Mm -hmm. these shared uh, things in common. And that's great. And I think for friendship that, that, that has to happen to some degree. But the the church community, the Christian community is something far deeper than that. It's supernatural. And it's going to require you to be united to people that aren't like you. Mm-hmm. Which is going to take some selflessness. It is, yeah. It, it, it's going to take some pursuit. Yeah. And oftentimes, I think what I hear is, this is what I'm not getting. Totally. And and that's, that's the wrong place to even start. Yes. Uh, I'm going to read a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Mm -hmm. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. Yeah, that's... Good. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. sometimes we love our ideologies of what community should look like more than we love the bride. Yeah. More than we love the church family yeah. itself. So totally. Yeah. I think if if your church is is proud of the lack of community or is not uh, creating space for biblical community where their people are being held accountable and are growing and they're understanding of theology and the Bible and those kinds of things, I think there's again potentially some unhealth that would give one reason to at least consider or start thinking about leaving a church if their community, the community that they are intentionally trying to create is somehow unbiblical. But I think in this one, more often than not, 
the reason people leave church because of community is because of their own uh maybe lack of pursuit mm-hmm. or, or willingness to give to create that and community. that's probably going to follow you to the next one and the yeah, next one that's what i was thinking one. about this and i was like should i say this or not but when have, has that ever stopped this before um you might be someone who always has a hard time finding community and i would say eventually you're gonna have to realize that that's probably on you <laughs> and not the four or five different churches you've tried out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's get to the last one. Cause this one might take a little bit more time and that's church government or church leadership. Should you leave a church because of the leadership? Should you leave a church because of the way that it is governed? What do yes. you think? Okay. Yes. <laughs> when yes. and why? Yeah. Well, first I think this is a difficult thing because we're talking about leaving a church. And so I wouldn't go to a church that's not governed by a plurality of elders okay. because I just, I mean, when you look at scripture, anytime it's brought up, elders are referred to in plural. Yeah, elders. Elders. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm not going to get plugged in at a church that has one pastor or that's a Moses model leadership to where there's one guy that's really elevated mm-hmm. and it's really hard to gain access to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's one pastor and there's a, I don't know, some deacons around him and, and whatnot. So I'm not going to go to that church. But if all of a sudden I find out that I'm in a church like that, I don't know that that would be grounds for leaving initially for me because I, so, but well, I think I just contradicted myself. (laughs) I think it's important, but I also think you could faithfully be a Christian and be at a church. I wouldn't want to be at one, but let's throw it out there. For instance, Calvary Chapel, Mm -hmm. that's a church that I came to Christ in and that I was baptized in. Uh, They don't have membership. I mean, I don't even remember if there was a plurality of elders. Maybe there was. Uh, but they definitely operate more and, and, and proudly so off the Moses model. Mm-hmm. Did I need to leave that church? No. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So, and again, there's degrees of health, right? And some areas of unhealth might be less impactful or detrimental than mm-hmm. others. And so this might be one where styles of leadership, we would say, and I, I think we would hold a pretty strong conviction that biblically speaking, the model of leadership in the New Testament church is a plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. It's qualified men who are overseeing, shepherding, and ruling the flock. They're mm-hmm. leading, they're teaching God's word, they're praying for the people, they're caring for them. And it's a plurality, a team that is held accountable mm-hmm. by the church and by one another to the standard of character that's laid out in First Timothy 3 and then in Titus 1. Now, that's like the what we would say the biblical model is. Mm-hmm. If your church doesn't operate in a model like that, I think that's maybe something that you could talk about. But I also think we could talk about the types of leaders or the types of the type of leadership. Maybe there is a plurality of elders, but those men are, uh, they're not fulfilling the requirements or qualifications laid out in scripture for them. Uh, and their leadership is authoritarian or they are unfaithful to their spouses. I mean, there's, there can be some character issues. And I think there's something to be said about the emphasis on character mm-hmm. for elders in the New Testament. We don't get... I mean, we get enough, but not a, a ton about what they do, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we get a lot about who they're supposed to, what kind of people they're, what kind yes. of men they're supposed to be. And so I think the character of your elders, their willingness to receive critique and feedback, their willingness to receive challenges, their involvement in the flock. First um, Peter five talks about shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherds should smell like they're sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have elders that you never see, you don't have access to, they're not in and among the congregation, I think that's an area of an unhealth that that could at least you could start to have these these conversations. Yeah, that, that's what I would say is that I think you can have a really biblical model of leadership and have really unhealthy leaders. Yeah, and I think you could have a more unbiblical model of leadership and have more healthy leaders. Sure. But part of the way that I'm defining health even comes from a security in Christ. Mm-hmm. Do your leaders confess sin? Do your leaders display they need grace or do they just preach about it because you need it? Do mm-hmm. your, uh, are, are your leaders approachable? Are they humble? So if we went through this list with our leaders and, and can we approach the pastors and elders in our church and say, hey, I struggle with the preaching, here's why. Hey, I struggle with the worship, here's why. Are you just going to be met with defensive reactiveness and right. told that you're crazy and you need to kick rocks and whatnot? Or is, is there a humble approach to be learning and growing? Mm-hmm. in whatever their craft is. Because we could go back and say to the preaching and worship, are your is your worship pastor and is your preacher teachable? Right. And so I would say a healthy mark of a leader is that they are teachable, that they're approachable. Yeah. So. And that, 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 that's a great segue into kind of where I want to close here is some, just kind of some pastoral considerations. Because again, these are the gray area issues. 
I don't think I don't think, and if we did, we shouldn't have. I don't think we've said so far in this section, oh, absolutely one hundred percent get out of dodge, leave now. Mm-hmm. We've said, okay, if this is something that is of concern, maybe start thinking or having the conversation because these are gray area issues. We're not dealing with false churches here, true churches and areas of unhealth. So if, just to be clear, yep. the preaching of the gospel every week is not a gray area for me. Okay. That that for me is a black and that's white. That's a black and white. That, that's would that's you say someone uh, hard and fast. I'll back you in a corner here. Not a true church of the gospels not preached every week or just a true church that is at a level of unhealth that you would say is warrant for yeah, B. Okay. B. Yeah. <laughs> B. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, uh, so here, let's do, so in these gray area issues and the dark gray one of preaching for Rick, um, here's how I think I would recommend you go about addressing a lack of health in one of these areas or other areas in your church as well. First, pray. Mm-hmm. Pray about this. God, Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of his church. He loves his bride. He is purifying and sanctifying her. He cares deeply about his body, the the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so if we are going to have an issue with the bride, let's take that issue to the groom. Mm -hmm. If that metaphor makes sense, let's, let's, let's pray about um, what we are uh, maybe concerned about. Secondly, and in addition to this, seek some counsel. It could be people within the church. It could be people without or outside of the church. But I would say seek counsel from someone older, wiser, who has been a Christian for longer, who's been a part of a church for longer, not in a gossipy way, not in a, oh, I don't like this about my church. And, and you're just trying to vent your frustrations, but in, an, in a genuine attempt to dis, d- distinguish, determine, are these things that I am having concerns about actual areas of unhealth? Or are they preferential? Mm -hmm. Are are these my preferences that I'm letting dictate how I feel about my church? Or are these actual areas that my church can grow in health? Yeah. You look like you're going to say something. Oh, I just have thoughts of that. Okay. I think it gets, I think the waters could get muddy Mm -hmm. if you go to someone inside of your church who doesn't see or understand the value of Christ-centered hermeneutic. Sure. Yeah. And so you might feel like you're crazy Mm -hmm. for wanting that. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know. Well, but. yeah. And, and that's, and that's where you're seeking counsel and you're praying. So yeah. the, the, all of the counsel you get might not be great mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. so I, I think there's some discern, discernment required in, in, in that, that step as well of seeking counsel. I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you're the only one who sees this as a problem, yeah. then maybe it's not a problem totally, is what yeah. I'm trying to get yeah. at. I think so. So I, I wouldn't say like, Oh, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I prayed about it. Haven't felt anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm going to go like, I think one of the ways God helps grow his church is not one of the ways he builds up the church in the context of community and relationship. Yep. With one another. So I just, I just don't think we should go about this alone. Yep. Uh, number three. So pray, seek counsel, and then humbly address the area of concern with church leadership. This is going to reveal so much. Mm-hmm. If you can go to church leadership one, that's great. If not, there's a problem. Uh, and then if you can address an area of concern with church leadership in a way that you feel like is received humbly and honestly, you know, that, that's going to reveal mm-hmm. something as well. Um, Use our language too. So, hey, yeah. I, I would like to approach this and talk about our church family. Yeah. Uh, about us. Yeah. Because I've also met with a gentleman who was in his 40s once and he was like, you know, the community or them over there. And every way he talked about me seemed like he was separate from our church family. And I said, do you hear kind of the language that you're using? It's like all the problems are over there and you're just staring in from the sidelines. Yeah. This is our family. Yes. Do you see yourself as a part of it? So, which leads to the next thing I would say is be willing to contribute to the church's growth and health. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're going to approach the leadership with an area of unhealth that you think the church has that you want the church to grow in, be willing to help with that to yeah. grow in that. You know, if you if you think the church should grow in its uh, in how it does community, then be willing to contribute to that. And again, that's a taking ownership and seeing the church as you being a part of that. This is us. This is we. And so, if there's an area of unhealth, I'm not going to say fix it, and I'll. I'll jump back in when you all fix it saying, no, I want to be a part of helping our church grow in health. And then I would say, lastly, be patient. Uh, churches do not change overnight. It is a complicated organism mm-hmm. with a lot of years of ministry, pastoral or like ministry philosophy convictions and yep. uh, emotions. And it, it's churches don't, it's a big ship. You can't turn a big ship around in a night. You gotta, mm. yeah, I gotta slowly turn that thing. And so be 
willing to and be patient with your church. Um, because again, it's Jesus Christ's bride. Mm-hmm. He is sanctifying it. And we do not judge sanctification after a day, a week, a month. Like take a look at sanctification over the course of years. And I would say the same with churches. Yeah. Um, so if you're seeing a willingness to grow, a humility, a desire from the leadership to grow in this area of health, and there's ways that you can help with that, be patient. Yeah. And, and I've experienced that. I talked to a gentleman that we both know last week and I was thanking him as a younger man and a, I think he was really patient for me that mm. I had a very underdeveloped ecclesiology mm. and, and I was re- reflecting on how I was thankful for him mm. that he kind of prodded me and, and ex- like encouraged me to dive into some of these things to develop a greater mm. understanding for it, but, but it wasn't forceful. And I would say because of him in conversations like that, my views have shifted on mm even yeah. ecclesiology and how have you the yeah. local church. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's close this thing down. So if you've done all of that and at the end of the day, your conscience, your counsel has confirmed in some, some way, shape or form that it is time to leave your church, then how you leave says a lot. And so leave well. Um, we would say either choose to stay joyfully, mm-hmm. cheerfully. Don't, don't choose to stay and then be bitter mm-hmm. and cause division and grow resentment towards the leaders and, constantly complain and nitpick and nag. If you're going to stay, stay joyfully, stay cheerfully. If you decide to leave, leave peacefully. Parting shots are cheap shots. And Mm -hmm. if you take them on the way out, that does not do anyone any good. And so leave peacefully. And And even be asked to be released from your membership Mm -hmm. on good standing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the other thing I would say is, is don't disappear. Mm -hmm. Leave through relationships, conversation. As pastors, I think it's so unfortunate when people leave the church and they just like disappear. We've had some really great conversations with people who have come to us and said, Hey, for reasons X, Y, Z, we've, my, me and my family have decided to leave it. And we say, be well, brother. And mm-hmm. you know, we love you. We're praying for you. You always have a home if you decide to come back. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's far better than just disappearing and no one knows where you went. So leave, leave via conversation, leave via relationship. That's good. Last thing I'll say, we're talking about leaving a church, not the church. That's good. And really so, good. So if you end up leaving a church, it's not to go float around and do your own thing. You're leaving a church to be a part of another church. Mm-hmm. You're going to something, which is another church that might be, end up being healthier than the one you're leaving. But we are not condoning, recommending, listen to the last podcast about not being a part of a church. Yeah. If you leave a church, it is mission critical that you find another one. In fact, I don't know if I would recommend you leave until you've found a a new one that you're planning on going to because separating yourself from a church should never separate you from the church. That's good. So, all right. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, I feel like you said it well. Cool. Thank you for joining us on today's episode in Saints and Society, where we looked at reasons for why you should leave a church and how you should go about doing that. We hope this has been beneficial for you. 